Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in Parshat Titzaveh. We are at the end of Parshat Titzaveh because we are at the last third of every portion because we're in the third year of the triennial cycle. Which means we start at uh, Exodus 29, 19. Uh, We are in the instructions to consecrate the priests. We are at the instructions to Moshe about what he is to do to celebrate the consecration of Aaron uh, and after him his sons. I mean, his sons will serve with him. Aaron, of course, will be ordained as high priest and his sons as priests. So remember, the priests are from the the tribe of Levi, of Levi. They are the, the family of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Aaron is high priest. Aaron's sons will be the priests, the Kohanim. So every Kohen is a Levite. Not every Levite is a Kohen. Okay, so we got that? That Kohen is a clan from the tribe of Levi. Okay, so let's look at uh, 2919. Then take the other ram and let Aaron and his sons lay their hands upon the ram's head. Slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the ridge of Aaron's right ear and on the ridges of his son's right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet and dash the rest of the blood against every side of the altar round about. Take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle upon Aaron and his vestments and also upon his son's and his son's vestments. Thus shall he and his vestments be holy, as well as his sons and his sons' vestments. Okay. So this is a zevach shlamim, this ram, which is a uh, offering of greeting, right? Sometimes called a peace offering, sometimes called the offering of well-being. Yes. Is there a significance to the fact that everything was on the right side? Yes, we're going to get there. Yes, yes. So he takes the ram. Uh, this is the. Shlamim offering, which means part of it is burnt and the other part feeds the priests, which makes sense. If you're having a consecration of the priests, then it makes sense that the final offering is going to be one that the priests eat so that the final part of their consecration ritual ceremony is going to be to have a meal with who? God. To have a meal with God. Right, so that is that is how they're going to end the ceremony, like any deal, like any covenant that is cut. Right, the whole thing ends with a meal with God, and so it makes perfect sense to me that they're going to end their consecration as priests in service to the divine. They're going to kind of seal that deal with eating a meal with God. So uh, part of the ritual before they uh, lay it on the altar and burn it, and then. What, meaning cook it and eat it. Um, they take blood from the, Moses is to take blood from the ram and put it on Aaron's right ear, on his son's right ears, because they will be priests, on the thumbs of their right hands and the big toes of the right feet. The right hand is dominant. We know that. The right hand is dominant in most cases. So if you're talking about which foot you lead with, it's your right foot. Which hand do you reach out to do stuff with? Your right hand. So 
the right side is the dominant side, the strong side, the active side. And so we're going to get the, the blood on the ear. Why? To listen. All the senses. To listen. Shema Yisrael. Right? We are to be the people who listen and hear the call, the word of God. Na'aseh Nishma. Right? We will do and we will hear. We will listen. And listen implies obey. So that's the ear. The thumb of the right hand. First of all, the thumb. What's important about the thumb? We can make tools. We can grasp. We can, the, the opposable thumb is responsible for civilization. Right? Because monkeys can, can do some of that. But all other creatures without opposable thumbs cannot manipulate what they're given in order to create right, something else. I mean, we know beavers make dams. I'm not saying they're not industrious, <laughs> other species. But the opposable thumb is responsible for right, civilization. Uh, the hands right, are how we manipulate the world. They are how we act in the world. And so Aaron and his sons are to be the right hands of God. So the blood of the offering on the ear, on the thumb of the right hands, and on the big toe of the right foot. Why on the feet? So you can go and, and do things. So you can go and do things. Walking on the holy path. Right? They should be their path the way they walk, where they go, what they rush to do should be guided by their commitment to service of the divine. So how they listen, what they listen to, what they obey, what they do with their hands in the world, and how they walk, where they go, what they're about, what they follow, should all be connected to their service of the divine. All of that is to be used in service of the divine, which and, and which is something I really love about this role of the priest is that they are not. It's not somehow cut off from action in the world. Davka, it's the opposite. Davka, the blood goes right on the limbs that are connected with action in the world. They are not supposed to be sitting in a monastery. Contemplating their union with the divine. Asceticism is really found upon. It's just not part of the understanding of what divine service is about. It's about doing. It's about action. It's about right being part of the world. Um, Priests marry. Priests have children. Right. So priests are regular people in that sense, right? They are supposed to remain connected to the concerns, the interests, the involvement in the world and worldly things. Um, when, when, you, when you're supposed to go into a home in the Middle East, you're, you, you have to enter with your right feet. That's the really? Okay. And the same when you go into a mosque. Wow. Right foot first. And so for the... And for the... With your right foot. Yes. Well, and then only the one case where you lean on the left, you know, for right. a seder, sign of a rich person. Um, but that's because of the heart. Yeah. We lean to the left because the heart, they thought, was on the left side. Um, the rabbis talk about getting dressed in the morning. You put your right arm into the sleeve first, then the left. You put your right foot into your pants first, 
You put on the right shoe first. And the rabbis go so far as to, to identify the right side with good and the left side with the temptation towards the Yetzer Hara. So there's a negative thing about us lefties? So some people want to want to ask that question. I happen to think we're special. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, but I mean, there, you know, it. There are some people who want to say, okay, well, if the right side is lifted up, then the left side must be denigrated. So those of us who are lefties must be okay, possibly. Um, you know, but you know, like you said, you know, like my grandmother was forced. She was a, a blessed memory. Her, she was a lefty, and she was forced to use her right hand. And it's like, and it's like, why? Like, what? It's just interesting. It's like, why? It's not. It's not like the writing with your right hand's any better. It's not like eating with your right hand's any better. Why force people to use their right hand? Like, it's this kind of stigma about difference. About if we, if we're, if we are dominantly right-sided. In the culture, then right, left is somehow. He was, is that what's just interesting? <laughs> no, um, a Baba Mice is a story or a myth or whatever about something. This is more, I think, just kind of an internalized repulsion, prejudice. Like you know, so we, yeah. you know, Right. Right. Was really taken aback. Right. So it's that's um. I mean, I, I I just think it's interesting that even in our own time, where we know it has no value, right or left-handedness has is completely random in some ways. It, it still has this. If there's a dominant whatever, the people who don't have that dominant think of albinos or right. There's just ways that we as a human society react against you know. Um, so I'm sure it's. Yeah. Right. No, that's right. A left-handed compliment. That's right. It means it's not straightforward. It's not straight on. Right. Right. Okay. So, okay. I don't know what that was about, but let's go on. <laughs> Twenty-two. Wait, I have a question before we go on. So, this is the blood of a ram. It is. Right? And they're putting a little bit, ostensibly, on the ears and whatever, and dashing the red. That's a lot of blood. Yes. Today, we look at blood as something to be cleaned up. And here, blood, right, was something to purify. Yes. How do we get from there to blood? <laughs> it's something we have to clean because up. Because I don't think they're that far apart. Okay. I think anthropologically, blood is super powerful. It's the life force. It represents the spilling of the life force. And, and it means something traumatic has happened, right? For there to be a lot of blood, mm-hmm. that's not normal. Like, something, right. I mean... It, even when women are bleeding for seven days, right, society's flipped out because it's not normal. And um, usually that means serious trauma. If you have that much blood, something really scary is happening, which is why blood, I think, is so powerful because it's scary. If we lose it, we die, right? And if we see our blood, we freak out. So I, I think it's... It's it's the flip sides mm-hmm. of the same issue, right? Which is we freak out. We have to clean it up. We because it disturbs us so much. Seeing blood, right? It just it disturbs us. But it's supposed to be intense 
and disturbing, right? And that's why they dash it. Remember the color. Remember the color mm-hmm. of the altar would have been a light color, mm-hmm. and then you dash this, you know, crimson blood against the side of it. It's supposed to be dramatic, and it's supposed to be a little upsetting, right? Because what's it? What is it essentially saying? Something is done. Yes, but and why is that so distressed? Why is that supposed to be a little bit like shocking and upsetting? Because you deserve to die. It's we're all going to die, so we know that. That's why I think it's also distressing, is we we all are aware of our mortality, right? So blood is like whoa, um, and but also you deserve the fate of the animal. The animal has stepped in for you. That should be your blood on the altar, but it's not. Right, so it's supposed to be kind of jarring. Right, follow the commandments. Don't screw up. It should be you, and right. So there's there's a level that it's supposed to be jarring. It's not supposed to be normal, right, or regular, and and it's the most powerful agent we have. What's the oil made of? Do we know that? Um, probably olive oil, mm-hmm. purified, refined mm-hmm. olive oil. When All prayers, right. <clears throat> when prayers took the place of sacrifices, then we became the. Uh, well, we didn't sacrifice; we we turned to prayer. And right. Liturgy. Right. So we move. You know, we move away from the idea of sacrifice. You shall uh, twenty-two. You shall take from the ram the fat parts, the broad tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the protuberance on the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, and the right thigh, for this is a ram of ordination. And one flat loaf, add one flat loaf of bread, one cake of oil bread, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Place all these on the palms of Aaron and his sons, and offer them as an elevation offering before the Lord. Take them from their hands and turn them into smoke upon the altar with the burnt offering, as a pleasing odor before the Lord. It is a gift to the Lord. All right. So what is the gift to God? Reach nichoach. The aroma. Aroma of bread is always Right? And of, and of roasting meat and fat. What is better than the smell of that? Nothing. So, um, right, baking and meat on the grill. Right, we, we are programmed to respond to that, right? It is often how we survived. Right, our protein came from meat, and it was rare. You, you, only about twenty percent of the diet would have been meat, but it was critical for ancient people's brains and everything else to develop to have that source of, of really um, accessible protein. So, um, so we're kind of programmed. Like that means survival. That means we're doing okay. That means we're going to be all right. Right. Same with bread baking. That was the staple. That was what you smelled every day to let you know you were eating today. Right? I mean, so these smells, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I start salivating at certain smells, right? This is, this is what God receives, is the, the reach nichoach of these things. Well, plus, it's going up in the air. Right? Sure, sure. So, um, this is really anthropomorphic. Yeah. Yeah. But, but mean, we've it, passed the anthropomorphic stage of God eating. Well, that's comforting. So, right, because before this, in the ancient world, all of the food in the Canaanite right, tradition, it was given to God so God could eat it. Right? So, um, okay. What's an elevation So, sometimes you'll see wave offering. Tnufa is, um, this text translates to elevation because to wave a bunch of stuff in a stack 
probably would have been like counterproductive, right? You lift it and wave it, and they all fall over because they have to stack all these things. Um, most likely, a tr- it's been given to the priests, right? That you give it to, you bring it to the priests. The priests then lift it as a way to transfer ownership. It's not ours. It now belongs to God. So they are transferring kind of when they put their hands on the, the goats or the bull. You know, they, they transfer ownership. Now, I, I, I have control of this animal. I transfer it now, right, to sacred purposes. So that's probably part of what the wave offering, the heave offering, you've heard it called, um, elevation offering. But this is not an effort to bribe God. Or is it? Well, really? Really, Bert? <laughs> it's, not, it's not an effort to bribe God. What do you think? Maybe get favor. Well, <laughs> Maybe get favor. Get right? Favor. Right? So... So Maybe bribe is such an ugly word. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, so if you look at my ears, if you look at my ears today, this is my Valentine birthday Hanukkah present. My new diamond studs given to me yesterday. All right, is Judy trying to bribe me? For sure. <laughs> right? Yes. For what? Right? Like what? Right? So, so truly, like what, when we give a gift, are we bribing the person? We want their favor. So we give them something. If they accept it, now you kind of owe me. Like we, we've talked about this before. Like the, the anxiety of offering, of sacrifice, is what if it's not accepted? And if it is accepted, don't you kind of owe me a little? Don't I owe her a little for these lovely <laughs> diamond studs? Right, so... You so, owe me forever. <laughs> right? You owe me forever. Because we fear we might lose them. So, so I think it's all kind of tangled up. Wanting favor, wanting to propitiate, wanting, wanting good relations, wanting, right? So wanting to be seen. I mean, it just... I, I, Bribe is such an ugly word, <laughs> but you know, so I, I think it's all related. I think we. But mitzvah is the best mitzvah of all. Is something you do just from your heart, and you don't expect anything. Okay, I don't know what world you're living in, <laughs> but that's not why we do most of what we do. Certainly not in relationship. Yes, it's lovely when I give to you not expecting anything in return, but I don't believe you don't expect something in return. You do. Mm-hmm. You, expect, you expect them to feel pleased. Yes. Okay, that's what you want in return because they're pleased by what you did. You don't want to admit it, but on some level, you I'm want sorry. their favor. You want them to be pleased by what you've done. I'm telling you, I'm it's there. There's very little true altruism. Very little. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Human relationships are about mutual obligation. They're about mutual care and mutual responsibility, right? That human societies are based on, if I do for you, it may not be that you directly do for me, but you'll do for somebody else. We take care of each other. Right. That's how we survive. Is that really, is hardwired. Is there any guilt and shame in it by any chance to offset? Not Judy. Not Judy. <laughs> <laughs> That's called emotional intelligence, you know. 
Okay. Is there any guilt or shame attached to? Um, well, we're doing this praise to make up for the fact that we know we haven't been totally So the, I think the sin offering is all about that. Mm-hmm. The sin offering, or in the case of Judy, usually it would be me buying Judy flowers because I know I've screwed up. Right, right. When we bring flowers home because we feel sorry for what we said or our behavior or our lack of attention, right? So I think definitely that's why we have an offering that's the sin offering. It gives us a way to feel like we can hit, hit reset. You know, we can, we, we can do something to affect repair of the relationship. So I think that's critical to address shame and guilt and responsibility for poor action or lack of action or, or, um, or badly intentioned action um, is, to, is to give a way to, to give a gift to repair that. I think that's absolutely critical in the, in the sin offering. The sin offering that's explicit is this one? Yeah. Yeah. Bless you. So um, what is the reconstruction statement? On sacrifice? Well, uh, like this piece, because clearly the Reconstructionist idea of God is not a God that, needs that can gifts. smell, that you would give things to, and that would well, change things right. in response so to your We don't sacrifice. even have to go that, that recent, right? Mickey oh. indicated what happened way long ago. The rabbis reconstructed this. Okay. We're not really needing to reconstruct this. We haven't inherited this. Okay. We've inherited what the rabbis already reconstructed about this, which is what do we have to offer God? The prayers on the altar of our heart and that God desperately wants those from us and, and that, that that's what we can So what give. you were addressing was where they were coming from at that point. Correct. Not how we should deal with it. Correct. And when you say, and when you say, but the question you ask <laughs> remains valid. If we pray, are we bribing God? It's no different than if we offer an offering. If we pray, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, save my mother from cancer. Is that a bribe? Yes. Definitely a request. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm just saying I don't think it's, on some level, it's not different from take this sacrifice and then do for me or look on me with favor or it is so different from Baruch HaTah Adonai and then ask for something. Yeah, right? It's, it's a, this is the constant question about cause and effect, right? And if I can impact God and don't the way I want, then what does that mean? About me. Yes. Right. Okay. And my relationship, therefore, with the divine, which is going back to all of our talks all the time about Simple if God is all powerful. Complicated answers. Okay. Exactly. All right. So let's go. I want to go on just to get to the priestly garments. Are we at 26? Um, let's jump. Uh, where's the. Did I start past it? Didn't we have a description of vestments? No? 29. Okay, good. Thank you. 29. Uh, 29. The sacral vestments of Aaron shall pass on to uh, the sacral vestments of Aaron shall pass on to his sons after him for them to be anointed and ordained in. He among his sons who becomes priest in his stead who enters a tent of meeting to officiate within the sanctuary shall wear them 7 days. All right. So we're going to get a very very detailed description of the garments of the priest. 
right? And actually, I think in our Parsha, we might have had a, the yeah, actual yeah. instructions, right, about what to make for... Yeah, it's uh, earlier. Yes, it's earlier in the Parsha. Can I ask you, why, why are sons always chosen? Is this a familial um, thing? There's no meritocracy here? Okay, so we're going there. So... Yes. So earlier in our Parsha, we get the description of the priestly vestments, and now we get that they are going to go from Aaron and pass to his sons after him. In reading of Eva Zorenberg at from 2.30 to 4.30 this morning, um, I drew charts, I have colors. It was quite an experience. Uh, um, right, so... Um, <laughs> In reading Zornberg, she talked a lot about exactly this point that the role of Aaron as priest is hereditary. This is over and against the role of Moses, which we've talked a little bit about before, but I want to spend a little bit more time on it this, this last part of class. So she says, she points to a midrash, Abiba Zornberg points to a midrash that deals with Moses having said to God three times, no, 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 pick somebody else, right? I'm a man of, right. I'm not a man of speech. You got the wrong guy. I, I'm heavy of lips, I'm, I'm circumcised lips, blah, blah, blah. So Moshe three times declines the charge, the call to be, right, God's emissary to the people and to be God's representative. And in, in this Midrash, it says that God is so put out with Moshe by this constant naysaying and saying and declining that God finally says you know what you've lost the priesthood I'm giving it to your brother obviously you have some conflicted stuff going on about serving me no problem your brother doesn't so your brother's going to be the high priest you lost it so and the rabbis actually harp on this a lot the rabbis have a lot of midrashim that explore Moshe losing the priesthood why? Why, why? why do the rabbis even... It says God gives it to Aaron. Nowhere does it say in the Torah anything about Moses ever having been in line for the priesthood. Why are the rabbis worried about it? Why do they keep bringing it up? Because Moses would have merited it. Because Moses should have been the high priest according to rabbinic imagination. Right. That's, that's the top it. job. They would have thought that was yeah. the good job. Moshe deserved it. He's or the rabbis wanted it. So they, they know this is the top job in the system. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our rabbi, should have had the top job. So there's this tension between like what they wanted for Moshe and what didn't happen. So A, it has to be Moshe's fault. Because God can't be playing favorites or be to blame, right? But it's interesting that they have this fantasy that Moshe should have been the priest and wasn't. And that they worry for Moshe all the time about what it meant for him to be passed over. David? I thought that you had described the role of the priest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we're not not going there yet. We're not going there yet. Yes, we're going to go there. Yes, there are different roles. Yes, but we're starting before that. We're starting with the rabbis thinking Moshe should have been both. Sam Levinson used to say my brother was an only child. <laughs> so Moshe should have been both. It seems to be the rabbinic. It's, it bugs the rabbis that Moshe wasn't both roles. But 
you know, there's another possibility, which is that God wakes up and thinks, hey, maybe he's got a point. Maybe, maybe the job should have been divided. But the priest wouldn't, the, the rabbis would never have thought that. Wait, wait, say it again. Maybe, maybe God listened to Moses and said, you know, maybe he's got a point. Maybe there's actually should be two different jobs there, you know, and I could one to him and one to him. But, but the rabbis would never think that way. Although Moshe saying no is about the stuff he does do for God. Mm-hmm. It's not about mm-hmm. the other stuff. Moshe saying no is about the stuff that God asks Moshe to do that Moshe winds up doing. And he seems to never complain about Aaron. But Who? Moses. He doesn't complain about Aaron. And Moshe does not complain about Aaron. So it's interesting that Moshe seems to accept that, that the role of Aaron as priest. Who, who's being instructed here? Who's being told to do all this? It's, it's not in the Persian. I was going to ask you that when you said Moshe is putting on the blood. This is all going to Moshe. Because there's an, this is all going to Moshe. You shall right. place on Aaron the vestments of blah, blah, blah. You shall. So this is Moshe being commanded. And so Moshe is in essence what? The messenger. The messenger. He's the priest. He's the agent. He's the kingmaker. The one who holds the crown over the king or queen and places it on their head is the most powerful in the room. Not the king or queen. Right? Why do the king and queen always want the head of the church to put it on them? They're the agent of God. So who has the most power in the room is the one vesting the most powerful person in the land. All right, so let's remember that. So the rabbis are aware that Moshe is, in fact, the priest. So why are they so troubled by this? I mean, that Moshe isn't the why the rabbis? Why the rabbis? So it's, right? It's interesting. All right, so we're going to hold that, that the rabbis are troubled, and some of them have Moshe imagining a slight, right? <laughs> that, you know, that he's been slighted. Um, but it is hereditary, and it's going to come through Aharon. It's going to come through Aaron and the priests. So the, so Zornberg draws this axis, and she's talking in particular about the vestments, but we could also use the whole ordination ceremony, all the rituals, all the hoopla-la, all the drama of the blood, all of it. There's an axis. And in the center of this axis, there is a tension. There's an anxiety about the tension. Meaning, if it's to one side or the other, it's bad. That's the anxiety. The anxiety is that this tension should stay in balance. Right? That the tension in this sense is a good thing, but it's also tension. Right? Um, And the anxiety is that that tension should stay, each pole should pull hard enough that it stays in balance and one doesn't, you know, win or, or pull to the other side, okay? So I don't wanna, I don't wanna say bad negative when I say t- tension and anxiety, but, but anxiety isn't comfortable. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it's not comfortable. 
What's on either side? We are told that, that the, the vestments of the high priest, all of these elaborate rituals, they are all for kavod ultifaret, the glory, it's all about the glory and beauty. Is it about the glory and the beauty of the high priest? No. Whose no. glory and whose beauty? God's. Okay. So on the one side, the vestments and all of these rituals are about God's glory. This is glorifying the divine. Yes? On the other side of this axis is the incredible importance of the humility of the priest. So on the one hand, the, the priest is in these incredible garments, incredibly powerful image, incredible that the agent of God on earth, right? Able to affect atonement on behalf of the people, superpowers on the one hand, representing the glory and the power of God. Power is important too, right? The glory and the power of the role. Versus, right? I mean, that is real. real, real. (laughs) That is reality, right? That he is the most powerful in some ways. On the other hand, he is a servant, right? He must remain humble. His whole role as priest is to have a life of service. So isn't it all about the yeah, yes. Yes. That's the whole point of this. Right. That's right. the whole point of this exercise. Maintaining the balance, the is, but being clear that there is a tension. Being clear about how much has to be kept in balance. So if we have, so give me some other things. I'll start you off. Um, that are going to be held in tension. One is what you said. Heredity. What does heredity imply? Or, or, what does it mean? It's unearned. It's unearned. An accomplishment. Unearned would be the opposite. It's so heredity is unearned. He. That's about humility, isn't it? I didn't earn this role. I was assigned this role. It's not about me. It's about God who works through me. I'm only a placeholder, right? So what else does heredity, what else does it mean? It means it can be passed on. So it's passed on. All right, so if we're gonna talk about the tension and balance, what's on this side? Earned or worth? Worth it? So, so earned. How, how is it earned? Tell me. Tell me more. Through good deeds or through knowledge. So, so the personality. Right. So, so I heard you say choose it. So there's something about agency, right? Um, and the per- it's personality dependent on some level if it's earned, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so it's not predestined, right? All right, so this is about the role. 
Okay, that's about the role. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it totally is. All right, the role. If I go to the other side of role, if I go to I'm ju- I, I'm just the role. I am high priest, right? Reflecting the glory and honor of God. What is this side? Responsibility. So how do we talk about that in another way? Intention. Mm-hmm. Right? She, she t- points to the legend, I forget who wrote it, of the empty night. Right? The, the, the empty night, there's, no, there's nobody in the armor. Mm-hmm. It's just the clothing. It's just the role. There's nobody in there. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that is the fool, I think the fool or whatever, who's cabbage smeared, right? The world is soup. It's all soup. Isn't it the, no, it's not the other way around? No. Well, I mean, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, but in this sense, it is um, that I am the pointing towards the power and the glory. In this case, it matters who I am. Did I switch them? Did I switch them? On the left side, if it's personality, the kavanah is something you do from intention. So, so actually, okay. So actually, this should this should come off. Just, I'll tell you why. Because this is. Can't be a Okay, so let's stay there. Okay, so so this this is this is the priest is supposed to touch the diadem and constantly tell himself, "I am a servant. I am nothing. I must keep my emotions in check." I, she, she talks about him being in, instructed to stroke the the kadoshla Adonai, right? To constantly be aware of my intention to serve, my intention to get out of the way, my intention to be right. But that's. I have to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I am humble. I am a servant. It's about having that intention. This is about the role, the clothing, the costume, the power. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, again, they, they have to be held in tension. It's not judging one is good and one is bad. This is the tension of the role of the priest. It's like the actor and the person who is the actor. Yes. Well, I would say the role. Yes, the role. Versus the actor. Yes. Right? Um, so all the stuff that we're reading about, right, is about the ceremony. The ceremonial, if you will. Right? All the regalia would go on this side, right? And on this side goes personal integrity. Because whenever we're putting one on one side and one on the other and they're in direct relationship, what does that mean? What is that relationship about? That relationship is about the danger of going to one side or the other. So the danger of too much, too much of it being about the ceremony and the regalia and you know all of those things, right? That that's a danger if 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 we focus too much there, because then what if I'm corrupt as a priest? 
right? If, if, this is, if this gets too much and that's the focus, ceremony, regalia, the ritual, the pomp and circumstance, here's the, here's the, here's the danger, is that my personal integrity is not of concern, right? Because personal integrity, like I have to be a good person. I have to be, right? And we know about the corruption of the priests. We know that's exactly what happened. Why aren't we going to hear later on that um, in terms of uh, heredity, uh, that the sons of Aharon um, do some bad thing and get yes. swallowed by fire? Yes. So they failed in, in this area. Well, we don't know. <coughs> because there's some that want to interpret it as they got what they wanted. They were subsumed into the divine. But that's not what the priestly role is. In other words, it may not have been a failing. It may have been they weren't, they weren't able to keep this in balance. And it doesn't mean that necessarily they had no personal integrity, but it, they were longing for the wrong thing. And because of that, right, it... This seems like an argument against extremism and fanaticism. hundred percent. To mine, right. having just been in Israel, I've seen so many. Right? Um, and, and I think in general, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to beat it to death, but I think it's helpful, the outer and the inner. I, I think what Zornberg is doing in this chapter, and I read the whole chapter, uh, which I never can do. I get through like four pages and I'm done. Right, right after four in the morning, I'm like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Um, like what she's talking about is, is the normal, th- this is what we deal with as human beings all the time. The role versus, right? And so she, she talks about, you know, one, once upon a time in synagogues, you know, you, you robed the rabbi. The rabbi was on a huge dais, right? There were huge flowers, a huge ark in a cathedral building because that is reflective of the glory and power of the divine and the rabbi or the clergy as because think of, think of the Pope. It's not even just rabbi, but think clergy. The clergy are there to represent the glory and power of God. And if you don't spend millions and billions and kajillions of dollars on it, it can't really do that. So I'm just talking about human culture, human society. Right? She's pointing out all, why do we build palaces as royalty? We, we stood and looked at the temple. We went through the, you know, the temple... Um, you know the wall, the tunnel tour, where you're standing, you look down, and you and you look up. You and Renee reminds us where the wall stops today is nowhere near where would it would have stopped in the biblical world. And you look up. I mean, the stones are from the floor to here is one stone, right? This big. And now imagine the wall going all the way. Like you stand. Why? Why build something? Because you are supposed to feel small next to the power and the glory and right the majesty of the divine. And you have to reflect that in your representatives or in the space that is pointing to that. The danger is that that's, that becomes the focus. It's between the role and the real. And that it's empty. Right? And then... There, there's none of, right? There's, there's none of this idea of, but what's, what's at the heart of it? What's it about? It's about my kavanah. It's about service. It's, it's about, right, w- wanting to, to help, wanting to be an agent in the world of good, of justice, of compassion, of equity, of patience, of forgiveness. 
right? That's what it's supposed to be about. Not all this. But we need, we need both. Could I come in here and lead services in jeans and a t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, no, right? No. But if I were at camp, I could. Because at camp, that clothing is appropriate, right, to the context. But here, if I did that, like, it, it would be saying, wait a minute, so you don't respect what it is you're in service of if you don't have some way of outwardly showing that, right? I think the struggle or the, the challenge is not to be the one on the right side or the one on the left. Correct. Yeah. It's the balance. Correct. It's the hardest thing. A- absolutely. Amy, aren't you describing, I closed my eyes, I didn't know where I was, aren't you describing the role of the Catholic Church and the priest? Sure, sure, that's why I said clergy. The Pope, absolutely. Every Western... Absolutely, not even just Western. Eastern religions, where there is no left side there. There are really monks that live in poverty and... Yeah, but but there's lots of examples of this in the Eastern, in the Eastern, in Eastern culture, right, that not in certain, you know, ways, but in other ways for sure you find it. In other ways. Yes. But, and I think that if we, tr- we take this example and put it into everyday life with everything, you know, if we go to another wedding or bar mitzvah that is some unbelievable pomp and circumstance ceremony, and you lose these, all the whole integrity, the whole intention, these two people are joining lives. This is someone who's taking their place among a, an adult Jew. Because it gets lost in all this. Right. I mean, the best weddings I've been to were the small, little ones, where I really got what they were saying. Right. Not, so, but... but so bad in But sometimes you can go in balance the other way. Yeah. Right? That if, if it's really small and dingy and yeah, and the challah is a little stale and there's just grape juice <laughs> just saying um right yeah that, that's true um but she does say nudity on the one hand and the trappings on the other so the dignity of nudity but anyway she says the cult of nudity is one that always is pushing against uh philosophy that the that the people rebelling against it feels become too much about the trappings you will always find a nudist component very interesting. Like a philosophy that's, that people feel that it's gotten too much over you, then there is a nudist component always. Right? This return to the dignity and vulnerability of the body without the trap. Very interesting. Um, but I want to put one more up here. But I forgot what it is for a second, so I'll answer whatever that was. Oh, here it is. Personal example. When I was on my search to become a Jew, finally, I grew up in an, in an ascetic, fundamentalist Christian world. No musical instruments, no card playing, no wine. No, no, no was the, was the operative word. And the first thing that attracted me after I started looking was the Catholic Church. Because it was the opposite. All the Pomp and circumstance, smells and bells. And Judaism, which does look for the balance. Right. Right, because... Yes. Because, right, because no, baptism, because the, the Baptists were very consciously opposing the Catholic Church. Yes. It's part of the Protestant movement. Oh, exactly. What is it protesting? All of the All of this is what the Protestants were all about, reforming this. 
The Protestant Reformation is protesting the power, the glory, the trappings of the Catholic Church. And so stressed all of these, sometimes to the point where Sorry, the balance was completely out of whack on the other side, so that everything becomes forbidden, and then there's no accessing of certain parts of us who respond to this, the smell, the joy, the what. If you can't respond to that, you you kind of cripple your your religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, your religious range alive. of response as a human being. All right, so and definitely Judaism from the beginning, really, or from the day of Moses, has sought that balance. Correct. All right, so I'm going to put one last thing on here because I thought it was beautiful. She like totally tied it up with a bow. What is on the hem of the robe? Bells. Alternating bells and yes. Tell me which one goes where. Well, and Granada. Uh, well, because he went there, I'm going to say. Pomegranate goes. I play basketball. Always watch their middle. They can fake you out otherwise. Always watch the middle. All right, so pomegranate and bells. Why? <laughs> right? So describe to me what a bell is. A sound. No. What's a bell? A bell makes a sound. What is a bell? A metal with a clapper. A metal? With a clapper. A metal what? A metal circle. A metal cup that is empty other than the clapper. What makes the clapper work? The fact that the bell is empty. That's what makes the sound. The bell is empty. The sound, right, is... So when, when the priest is going in before the divine, the priest must empty the priest's self and respond only as a servant, as the role on behalf of the people, he is nothing. He is only an agent. This is what protects him when he goes into the Holy of Holies, warning God, here I come, servant of your people. Don't kill me. I'm allowed to be here only because I'm serving the people. Um, on this side, it's very full. When it's completely full of what? Seeds. 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 Life. Life. Heredity. Uh, yes. Something yes. one passes on. Something that can be understood as the role, as what I can pass on. It can be translated. It can be transmitted clearly. Right? Here's the rules. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Here And as he returns to the world, he's coming out of the Holy of Holies where he's empty of himself. When he comes back into the world, he must be full of generative action, thought, personality, righteousness, goodness. He, he's a, his kavana is important. How he acts in the world, who he is in the world as he returns to community, as he returns to go to his family uh, home at night. And this, she says, is the meaning of the alternating pomegranate and the bell, the need to keep these in balance, the need to remember and, and um, effectuate both. 
Jews. Oh, amazing. We're so glad you were away. That's why in Israel everywhere we went, it's one of the seven species. So, the, you know, the rabbis, of course, have to go to town with that as a symbol. Yeah. Is this where doorbells came from? This is. Um, so I'm giving you some of Aviva Zornberg, and she's talking about um, his skirt with the bells and pomegranate, pomegranates, right? The tension between emptiness and fullness. Playfulness and formalism. The free play of mind and sensibility and the ceremonious investment in hereditary values. She's going to place... Eventually, she's going to place one on one side and one on the other. The tension between Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. I mean, she, she's not making it the same thing. This is me. I kind of superimposed this, and I'm not trying to make it match. I'm saying there's a couple of different tensions between what we've just discussed, but she says also between Moses and Aaron, in that what does Moses get according to the rabbis? He doesn't get the priesthood. The hereditary, passing on that which is transferable. What does Moshe get? Moshe what? What do they call him? Moshe? Okay, what is that? Prophecy. Teacher. Okay, but let's stay away from prophecy. Think of the rabbis. Our teacher. Our teacher. What, does that, what does that mean? So what is Moshe? He doesn't get the priesthood. What does he get? He gets the fame. He gets the tradition. He gets interpreting Torah. He gets to take the text and interpret it. It's Moshe's imagination. It's thinking outside of what is. It's thinking outside of what the text describes. Going deeper, going up, going to the left, going whoa to the right, if that's where he winds up going. This is something that is not transferable. To one's children. Your child may have the ability or interest, but may not. You can transmit the knowledge, but that's Aaron's job. It's hereditary. You can't translate, you can't transfer what, what Moshe has. It's unique to the individual. He can have, he can have, what's it called? He can inspire the next generation. He has to, right, for it to carry on. But it's not through heredity and training. You have to have some training, obviously. But how does Moshe have what he has continue to the next generation? He has to be creative in finding the spark in each student that's got talent, each student that has a proclivity for this, each student that has a love, a passion, a curiosity, a gift for imagination. Every teacher has to find the way to inspire uniquely that student. They cannot pass on a manual, which is going to be a lot of the book of Leviticus. It can't just pass on the manual and say, make sure you do this exactly and you'll be a fantastic priest. Just like you cannot transfer it onto Eliana. <laughs> Do believe me? I thought of that this morning. Because <laughs> people, when they say my kids don't do anything, they're not very involved Jewishly, it breaks my heart to say to them, neither does mine. My child doesn't know anything. My child doesn't observe. My child isn't interested in any of this. What comforted me this morning, it was like an aha moment, was she, she's right now in Sacramento. 
at a youth and government conference, you know, their big gathering, it's the Senate. Um, when the youth governor comes in, everyone is to stand. Um, right? She texted me that she was at the female caucus um, meeting. And so I, I texted her this morning, how'd it go? How was it? And she called me. I'm like, Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. So she calls me and she says, I think I'm going to run to be head of the female caucus. <laughs> so I can't pass this on to her because she's not interested. Right? But, but, but it's finding her unique spark, her unique curiosity, her unique talents and gifts and where they can be applied to something I'm equally proud of, if not as in love with politics or social policy. I'm not, that doesn't, that doesn't get me all excited. But the fact that she's excited about it and good at it and it's her set of talents, she could argue the paint off the walls. Um, she... And using that for a good, for something to move things forward in this world, I'm. So, and I got it that I sometimes fantasize about being Aaron, right? But the reality is, my relationship with my daughter, and as far as that goes, it's a Moses thing. <laughs> like she, she'll find her own person to be her mentor and inspire her and teach her in that realm. I can't do it, and I have to trust that I will have students who I can inspire and teach to, who love this or, or have the potential to love this, that I can help awaken that, it's just not gonna be hereditary. It's not gonna be in my biological line. But the leadership, exactly. the inspiration to lead. That, to lead, to yeah. that I hope, at least I, I transferred. Um, but, I, but I feel like Zorenberg's point, you know, in talking about here at the closing on 394 and 395, um, She's talking about Moshe's respect for Aaron and his role, right? Um, and that, um, look at 395, where my red line is, that second line of the three. Moses, too, knows this tension. But in a context devoted to the priesthood, to garments and functions of holiness, God singles him out and, address him, and addresses him and asks for you, you, meaning Moses, nameless, in a sense, childless, in a sense, parentless, Child of two cultures, Hebrew and Egyptian, Moses is absorbed into no single role. He is the prince of Egypt whose brothers are slaves. A protean figure, he wears many crowns. Neither priest nor king, he will yet play both roles, wear both crowns. He is absent from the Parsha, and yet he is pervasive from the beginning. Moses is the man of silence. But out of his silence emerges a voice thick with many harmonics. Abstaining from language, I am not a man of words. He arouses God's anger. Remember in the Midrash. What is God's anger but a way of signaling a recognition of Moses' seriousness, of the large stake that he has in his silence? I love that. God gets angry at Moshe saying, I can't talk. I'm a man of silence, not of words. God only gets angry because Moshe is so important. His role, right? God wanting him to fulfill this role is so important to God. The transfer of the priesthood from Moses to Aaron rebalances the relationship of the brothers, challenging Moses to acknowledge the trace of otherness that his silence engraves within him. Moses can't be the one who keeps the norm, who keeps the trains running on time, who keeps, who keeps the clock accurate. Because there is, there is a, what did she call it? There is an otherness 
to Moshe that Moshe silence his lack of wanting to do all that stuff. There, his uniqueness in that sense makes him too other to be the one who can affect kind of the regular everyday ritual, which I think is in a way a really beautiful teaching about helping accept that there are people who are not gonna be part of the norm. They think differently and that makes them different, odd, at the outskirts, at the margins in some ways, but it is in fact their brilliance as well. Right, one last thing, David. Could you say that today organized religion, the fact that we've existed here as Jews for thousands of years, is really due to the right side of that board because of the priesthood? No, I think we have to have a balance. Wait, wait, I'm not done. Okay. Is that that you couldn't have organized religion passing on values from generation to generation without the priesthood. But having the priesthood isn't enough. Yeah. The left side. No, absolutely. It's and always about a balance. It's always about a balance. Moses can't be passed on. No, it's a balance. Yeah. You have to have the stuff you can pass on and the stuff that you can't. It has to be a balance. 396, and I'll close. All meanings are intimated in that silence as all living water shimmers within the arid spaces of the desert. Unable to speak any language, Moses is compelled to draw from the resources of his silence an infinite protean energy that gives life to all vocabularies. It is Moses' energy, the crown of Torah, says Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen, that gives energy to all other crowns, the crowns of priesthood, the crown of royalty. Um, so let us each this Shabbat commit ourselves to leaning hard into what is our what is the energy of our own silence, our own uniqueness our own difference, our own oddities, our own idiosyncrasies where can we lean into those that that energy may uh, in this sense animate all others vocabularies Shabbat Shalom You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.